0: You've made it to Not Billable, the Law Trades podcast that brings you bite-sized legal and business news updates, full event replays, and conversations with legal pros about what's going on behind the scenes every week. Stop the clock, put the timesheet down, it's time to get started.
1: Thank you for joining us today to discuss Legal Ops One on One or 101, how to build your Legal LegalOps team. My name is Melissa. I sit on the account team for Law Trades. For those of you that may not be familiar Lawtrades works with legal departments of all sizes from very small startups to fortune 500 companies they utilize our platform to hire world-class flexible legal talent to help scale and grow their teams i'm excited to introduce eric frank today who will be moderating our event eric i'll go ahead and turn it over to you
0: wonderful thanks so much melissa so Hi everyone and welcome and I'm excited to be here to moderate this panel just about how to build a a legal operations team. Like Melissa said, my name is Eric Frank. I am an attorney and I've been doing legal operations work for, you know, about 10 years. I started my career working with a company called Envoy Global that works in the business immigration space, but kind of their focus is leveraging technology to streamline the provision of legal services. And so I spent quite a lot of my time doing more of operations, legal management work, kind of figuring out how to really take administrative work off of the legal team, make the legal team more efficient, and just find ways um, kind of to supercharge uh, just legal departments in general. And since that time, I've done similar work. And now I actually do legal consulting work through law trades. And I've been doing that for just about two years. So excited to get started and to introduce you to the rest of the team. So maybe we'll kick it off first to uh, Janine. Okay.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Janine Dixon. I'm the Legal Operations Manager at Meta. Been at Meta about a year and a half. And I spent eight years at Fannie Mae as the head of legal operations uh, before arriving there. My experience is in legal IT, but then I grew from in different law firms. Then I learned quite a bit of other administrative tasks, such as headcount and budgeting and technical project management. So that's how I fell upon the position at Fannie Mae and then at Meta. And I can tell you that uh, I am also the regional director of Clock in D.C.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much, Janine, and welcome. And uh, maybe, Cindy, you could go next.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Konashiro. I'm the chief of staff and director of legal operations at Nutanix. Similar to Eric, I'm actually an attorney by training. I did corporate insecurities for eight years and then was at Nutanix as a corporate insecurities attorney and uh, transitioned to legal ops. I was the first legal ops person and have
4: built the function over the last few years.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Cindy. And then Nishad, why don't you go ahead?
4: Thanks, Eric. And hi, everyone. My name is Nishad Abraham, a Global Head of Legal Operations at Etsy. Been at Etsy for about a year now. Been in the legal ops space for about 10 Started out uh, as a paralegal, got my MBA, and every role thereafter has been applying MBA principles uh, in this legal space. Prior to Etsy, I was at Amazon managing the outside counsel program and legal billing team.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, and, and welcome everyone. And so I know we've got just an hour, so we'll kind of kick it right off and get into it. And so the purpose of this discussion is to talk about how to build a legal team. And so I think the first question, and uh, Nashad, maybe we'll start with you, is how do you get started building a legal team? Kind of, what's your approach, and and maybe share some experiences that you've
4: had. Absolutely. So I think it really depends on the company that you're you're joining. I've moved around quite a bit in my career and seen a lot of different sizes and shapes of legal departments. And really coming in and understanding the business uh, before you put together your own model on how you're going to support. I'm sure everyone is here is getting familiar with a lot of the legal operations principles that we see in you know industry resources like clock. I think there's 12 core disciplines. You can make a lot of traction, but are those 12 important to each company? And every company I've been with, something really takes precedence on what you want to really drive internally. So I think to answer your question, building out this function really understands knowing your business and really benchmarking where you are with Uh, the industry. And I can keep going down further, but let me take a, take a pause to hear from Dallas.
0: Sure. Yeah. I know Cindy, you had, you had mentioned that your experience may be similar to mine. An attorney kind of got into legal ops, maybe not necessarily as your primary focus, but curious to hear kind of your experience as well with building out a legal team.
3: Yeah. So it's almost, it was almost easier for me because I was already embedded in the team and didn't know it, but was, you know, have this like natural ops, Type of mind and people that have this little gene, as you will say, is they they look around. They're constantly thinking, "How can we improve this? What are the types of?" Things? So there was a natural transition for me when I uh, switched into that. That also, you know, almost made it harder for me to establish this as a separate function because I was this attorney on the team. And so what I did was I luckily knew the business, knew the team, and already had that knowledge under my feet, but was to align that with sort of understanding what Nishad said, you know, the, the core areas of legal ops. Where can we focus? Where can we make an impact? And how to align that with what our business priorities are right now and where the legal team wants to be in the next year or three years or five years. And so that's where I focused on because I luckily didn't have to spend you know six months just understanding the team. And I had that knowledge with me already, but really just making sure that whatever I was planning on doing was aligned with what the business wanted to do.
0: Perfect. And and Janine, before we move on to you, Cindy, kind of question, just to follow up, do you think your experience as an attorney helped at all in the legal ops space? And I, you know, I ask because like, I like I have a, an, a, an experience kind of background as an attorney. And so I feel like there are, you know, maybe some benefits associated with that and then getting into legal ops. But curious to hear your experience and if you think there was any benefit there.
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think it helped me a lot in terms of, you know, I understand how the attorneys may be thinking about some of these things, maybe some of the hesitations, the issues with change management, And there's a range, right? Everyone is on that range somehow, but I feel like I had a little bit of insight into there. But frankly, what I love about legal ops is the range of backgrounds where everyone falls into this sort of niche coming from. And it's kind of amazing. You know, I I mentioned that legal ops people tend to have this little gene or there's just something about it. And everyone from very different backgrounds are finding a lot of success in it. And I think that's because it's a growing area and it's so multidisciplinary, and there's a lot of value to bring by these varied backgrounds.
0: I totally agree. Janine, anything that you'd like to to add to this?
2: Let's see. I'll agree with both Nishad and Cindy about figuring out what the business needs are. I think one of the first things that I did was I met with all the stakeholders to just understand what their pain points were so that as I looked at the clock you know, what should be the first or second things that I would focus on or prioritize as part of uh, starting the team. So that's one of the things that I I did at, uh, at Fannie Mae. I am not an attorney, but I think one of the things you talk about that little gene, but if you can understand attorneys, I think it goes a long way to being successful in legal ops. I have probably about 20 years of experience with law firms and attorneys helps to understand what they're looking, get their buy-in because they they pretty much work the same way. You know, they need you to tell them the why, not necessarily what you're doing, but why you're doing it. And if they understand that, you can be much more successful.
0: Yeah. And, And, you know, maybe this is, kind of a a corollary to that, but, you know, Cindy, you had mentioned kind of change management. And so my experience has been that if you can have that understanding of, you know, what attorneys are looking for, what paralegals are looking for, kind of what they actually do on a day-to-day basis, it can help on the change management front. So maybe I'll open it up just to that question, Cindy, since you mentioned it. What have you found on the change management side that has been successful? Are there any kind of particular, you know, tricks of the trade that you've had to make sure that the legal operations, you know, strategies and work that you're doing is ultimately going to be successful? And maybe Cindy, we can start with you and then we can work around.
3: Sure. So change management. I feel like I'm constantly learning, I think, <laughs> on what is successful and what is not. But I think one thing I have really learned is that it's not about coming up with a great plan and dazzling people with it. It is this long-term grind and how you check in and how you make it present in people's lives you know on a consistent basis and it is that sort of consistency that that you bring also looking at the group of who you need to impact and bucketing them into certain groups what do they care about what do they care about what do they care about and making sure to speak their language because you know speaking to the GC about saving money and this is not going to be the same as talking to my contract manager who is in the tool day-to-day or in the process day-to-day and wants to know how that impacts him. So just understanding your audience really well and making sure that you're speaking their language.
0: Yeah, totally. Nishah, did you have anything that you wanted to add on that topic?
4: I couldn't agree with Cindy more. I think that last part uh, that she mentioned, like speaking their language is very pivotal to the success of this role. We are in the middle coordinating between lawyers and finance and IT. And all those folks being specialized, we need to be able to translate information among stakeholders very effectively. And I think one additional point from a change management perspective is we need to think outside the box. We need to think about what others aren't. They're worried about the end goal. They're worried about their process and how it will improve. We need to figure out all the different ways how it can go wrong and try to counter that through automation, through you know documentation, whatever it may be. So I think that's our value add in the execution of things.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a there's a there's just a, a human component of it as well, where I think you alluded to, you could have the right answer for something, but if you're not able to effectively communicate it and showcase how it's ultimately gonna help both the practitioners and the department as a whole, it's ultimately not gonna be successful. Janine, it sounded like you had something you wanted to add as well.
2: Yeah, they should also feel included in the decisions. Like if you're you know putting something together, you wanna make sure, you may not be able to include everyone's suggestions, but at least have them feel like they're included and that their thoughts and their you know, concerns were being addressed as part of any type of implementation. Totally.
0: We have a, a question that came in from Anand that I'll, I'll ask to the group. So my, the question is, my CEO and CFO don't understand legal ops. How can I get them to understand the value? So this is just a good jumping off point, I think, just to talk about you know, how you can showcase what legal ops can do for uh, a department. So, um, Janine, why don't we we kick that question off to you?
2: I can't talk enough about some of the resources that CLOCK has. Again, a lot of places, what I also find is on the East Coast, that they're not as far along in legal operations as many of the West Coast companies are. But to really explain the benefit of having a group that runs the business of law. So they don't practice necessarily, but they run the business. So they run the e-billing. They run the things that are the tasks that attorneys shouldn't have to do. Attorneys wanna be able to practice and they don't wanna think about you know negotiations or if an invoice has been paid, you know. but to, to really sort of explain what the value is of having this type of role in your company. You might be a single person, it might be a group of people, but that's where it becomes important is to show them exactly what you do or what you're going to be doing And then using some of those tools that Clock has that says, you know, here's what the need, here's what what this team can actually cover for you.
0: Yeah, Cindy, did you have uh, anything you wanted to add on that question?
3: Sure. Kind of similarly along the lines of what I was mentioning before about speaking their language. I mean, there's ways to frame what legal ops is to a CEO and a CFO. Okay, we have a three-year strategic plan to be profitable or to be, you know, at this place. How do we get there and how can legal support that? You know, are we going to continue to be just what you see is as a cost center maybe or attorneys spending money on outside counsel? Or can we build this to be more data driven, have some business strategy behind how we run legal and make sure that we are aligning with what you want to accomplish as a business? Plus all that, you know, great structural strategic uh, content that Janine mentioned from CLOCK. I think you have both things to kind of educate people that don't understand or know about legal ops.
0: Yeah. I, I think the point that you mentioned, too, just about data and being able to objectify and, and show like this is actually the work that's being done, you know, kind of the ROI. I think that's incredibly important. And I think it's it's just compelling if you find yourself in a situation where you actually have to justify some of these things. So, Nishad, I know you had quite a bit of experience at a number of uh, different entities. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on this question.
4: Absolutely. And Eric, I think you just hit the keyword that I was going to mention. You know, It's documenting that ROI. I've been at uh, in-house departments that are very mature in the legal operations sense. But for those that are not as mature, where, to be honest, I've been in departments where not a single person knows what my function is. The GC is very much aware, but they're not really sure how to apply our value within the department. One of the first things I did was go on a a roadshow, to say the least, to really paint that picture of what the department could be in, you know, three to five years. And it's capturing that ROI and not from a monetary standpoint, from but from like an intangible here, the responsibilities that are going to come off your plate, because we're going to apply automation. Here's the responsibilities that we can outsource to a vendor. And here's what you could be spending your time on. And it really lights people's eyes up. They don't like doing these administrative functions, you know, but they have to. So I think going on that roadshow, really getting buy-in from your stakeholders before even implementing, you know, your first policy change or project, you really need them excited about how you can change their world, to say the least.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got a few more questions coming in, and I think we'll get to some of them throughout the questions that we do ask. But uh, another, maybe more kind of stepping back, a, a general question for the group is where should legal ops sit in a company or in the legal department. So, um, Janine, maybe we can, we can start with you on this one again. And, and you can answer the question this way and also just in your experiences where Legal Ops has sat and what you've seen mm-hmm. be successful.
2: Uh, well, in both situations where I worked at Legal Ops, I reported to either an SVP or a VP that reported to the GC. That model works in most cases. Again, if the, the person that you're reporting to is uh, very familiar with Legal Ops, you report directly to the GC. That's where you can get the initiative started. You know, you can get the top-down buy-in and have that information sort of disseminated across the, across the department. But to me, I think that's the, that's the best way to be set up. I know that there are several people, I think Cindy mentioned that she's also chief of staff. That also helps to be able to understand, you know, the, the daily workings of what the GC is doing and how that can affect the rest of the department. So you have a more holistic view when you're reporting, I think, directly to the GC. Yeah. Cindy, what do you think? Yeah, I echo
3: everything that Janine just said. I think it's really about buy-in and visibility and making sure that the team and externally that everyone knows that this new function that you're starting or building out has leadership support and has their support when you are, you know, undergoing change management and pushing out things that may not be popular at first. Because that, you know, we're already pushing a boulder uphill in many cases. And so without that buy-in and the visibility, our job is just so much harder. So, where, wherever you have to sit to kind of have that, you know, even if it's not directly to the GC, if you have the buy in from the leadership team, then, you know, I think that's what's crucial.
0: Yeah, I think I, I 100% agree. And I think there can be different scenarios. I think Nashad kind of alluded to it earlier that depending on either where you sit or what the buy in level looks like, I think, you know, he had mentioned kind of going on the roadshow to talk about it. I think that's ultimately the most important. Like, you could have a good situation where, the reason legal ops exists is because there was already buy-in for the role, and then it makes your life a little bit easier. But oftentimes, you do need to actually be more kind of assertive and intentional about how you can you can outline and get that buy-in. And so, I think that's ultimately, like you mentioned, one of the most important things. Nishad, um, did you have any kind of additional context or information you wanted to share on that?
4: I think at the end of the day, our work doesn't change depending on who you sit under. It gets easier and harder depending on where you're sitting. If you're mm-hmm. reporting to an a-, a GC, which is the ideal scenario, people are bought into your vision immediately because they understand that you this function is equally as important as all the other functions that report directly under. But that's not the reality in most instances. But regardless, it just means we need to be more effective in how we sell our ideas, how we communicate because we don't have a powerful figure, you know, right behind us. But either way, the work doesn't change.
0: Yeah. And so maybe this is kind of a good segue into the next question, which is just kind of about budgeting. So a question, how do you secure a budget for legal ops? I think both kind of initially, but then I think maybe second phase to say, okay, like we have a budget for legal ops, but we want to expand. There's a lot more that we can do. So curious, your thoughts on that. Maybe Nishap, we'll just stick with you for this, and then we can move to the others.
4: Absolutely. I think... We're all very eager to kind of get that team going, but I think that first hire should be very well thought out. It's like measuring twice before you cut because you can really align them in any direction, you know, whether it's contract management or financial and vendor management, but is that gonna bring the most return? If you're a GC and most GCs typically when I've walked in the door, they're like, hey, you need to reduce our outside council spend. So I typically lean them in the billing aspect, but Others are not like that. Others are more concerned with helping our business partners move faster and they want contract to turn around right away. They want to shorten that SLA time. That's where you might pivot. But it's a lot of education on, from your perspective to know where that first investment should be.
0: Yeah. Cindy, what do you think?
3: Yeah. So if you are in a place or the team doesn't have legal ops yet, right? And they, they're trying to figure out, is this worth the investment? You have to look in two places. It's the current, the current situation of the team. What is everyone working on now? What are the business critical work streams that you feel are sapping up attorney time or paralegal time that, you know, perhaps could go to legal ops? And there's, you know, various ways to look at that. You know, there's a sort of an hourly attribution you can give to an attorney's time, for example, and then figure out, you know, how much time are they spending looking at PDF bills through email every day? How much time are they spending on the same NDA every day that has no automation behind it. And you can sort of build out you know, a case just on current needs, but also looking at where we want to be in one or two or three years. What type of legal team do we want to be? Are we that modern team that we're trying to build leverage and efficiency and, and utilize technology? Or are we just going to be triaging and adding attorney heads every time something new comes up? So it's a, it's it's both, right? And and there are ways to kind of build numbers around that, of course, but I think you have to tackle it
2: from both perspectives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Any any additional thoughts on
2: um, <laughs> No, definitely plus one to what Cindy's saying because it, in particular if you've got pain points that need to be addressed, you want to look at those and see uh, like you said try to put some numbers around them so that you have more quantitative versus qualitative information. And that too will go a long way in trying to get budget or monies for, you know, any type of initiative that you want to start.
0: Yeah. One more question. And I think we'll take a few because I see that we do have a few um, from the audience, but kind of just a general question, maybe a two-parter. Number one, how do you think about mapping out what are the kind of key objectives that you want to focus on immediately versus kind of long-term Strategy. I'm interested just to hear how you think about that and and what your experience has been being successful, kind of figuring out, hey, like in the next, you know, three months, six months, here are the immediate things we need to tackle. But, you know, one year, two years down the road, here's ultimately directionally where we want to move. And maybe, Janine, maybe we can start with you on this one.
2: Well, we do create OKRs for at least for the immediate year and then created roadmaps in the past so that any of the you know low-hanging fruit or things that we can do relatively quickly, relatively inexpensively that would cause or create the most impact. So that's really what I would look at is the what will be the most impactful in terms of really affecting the way that the attorneys of the department work. And then look at things that are sort of, sort of need to have versus nice to have. Like, what is it that, again, we absolutely need right now that we are just doing so terribly that would save everyone time and money? So looking at those things first, the, again, the most impactful and then the things that are nice to have. Yeah, it would be nice for us to have, you know, a contract management system that had AI tied to it. That would be nice, but it's not something that we need right this minute. You really want to take a look at what's the most impactful and then get to those things first.
0: This podcast is hosted by LawTrades, the legal tech startup providing flexible legal talent for busy in-house legal teams. Whether you're looking to make your next hire or join the platform, head over to LawTrades.com
4: to get started.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And Nishad, I know you've had quite a bit of experience kind of going through this process. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts.
4: I trying not to tie my response back to the business again. But I think you really need to make sure that your goals and objectives and strategy is aligned with the business because you need to plan for the department. So if they're engaging in a new business ben- uh, business area or tapping into a different industry, you need to line up those resources for outside counsel. There's a lot of work internally that you need to do to prep for their next move. So it's great that you can have a strategy in place and your ideal vision of what the department could be one shift in the business could really change the rest of your plans for the remainder of the year. So allowing for some flexibility in your vision is the message I'll kind of hear.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And Cindy, anything additional that you want to kind of add on this one?
4: I think a shot
3: hit on the head. I mean I kind of live that out <laughs> because you know starting in legal ops, you look at the 12 things on the clock wheel and you're like, I'm going to tackle these things and I see these as needs. But really in reality, it is very business driven where you would think, okay, we were going to do these three long-term goals, but actually, since the business shifted this way, we need to focus on this right now. To, you know, validate what the the more near-term things are as well. In in addition to building that longer-term vision, I like to do, and I don't want to call them assessments because that's very consultant you know, consulting. But I like to have these chats with my team periodically. And just, you know, I have some questions in mind, but I keep it very conversational. And just understanding, you know, how things have shifted in their world in the last year, understanding what they're spending a ton of time on. And that really has helped me build the, the more near term, you know, the three, six months to a year, and what we're going to focus on while keeping an eye on that longer term that longer term vision. And so, and those, you know, assessment chats really have helped shape my near term plans quite a bit.
0: Yeah. And maybe just one kind of follow up question to that. Just curious, how much in your experience has it been kind of legal ops responding to business needs versus legal ops actually being able to maybe drive the, the direction a little bit more to kind of be maybe more strategic and, and outline those things. So I'm curious about that, because I know we're kind of talking a lot about maybe we have to respond to different things on the legal ops side. But I'd be curious to hear kind of your thoughts on also driving kind of a vision for the company insofar as, as you can do that.
3: Yeah, I think that is why it's crucial to have that long-term vision and, and you know figure out with your GCM leadership team where they want to be, You know, regardless of what the business things are going on, because you will have to pivot and shift and move things around. But having a strong eye on that longer term vision will help keep you, you know, on the same direction, even when you get pulled off to triage uh, emergency things or dealing, you know, a new project came up that you really had not anticipated. Okay, so that pushes back the longer term vision a few months, but but it's still valid and you're still, you know, heading in that direction. So needing to be flexible and understanding that you are going to pivot and it's not going to be a straight line, but still, you know, keeping that vision in mind and validating that vision every so often with your leadership team.
0: Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll turn and I know there's a few questions that have come in from the audience. So I'll ask a couple of these and whoever wants to jump in and answer, feel free. But first question from Anand is kind of would love your thoughts on vendor procurement. Would this be handled by a legal ops professional? So open it up to the group if anyone has has thoughts on that.
2: I think if you'd ask anybody, they would say you'd want procurement as far away as possible from getting bringing law firms on board because there's so many different aspects in terms of I'll say a regular vendor versus a law firm. So in both organizations that I worked in, we had arranged, well, made arrangements that we could onboard and engage outside counsel without the uh, procurement process. Most of that is because of the length of time that it takes because needed yesterday, you know, in terms of bringing them on. You know, even with our process, it still takes some weeks because it's still tied in a little bit with the procurement process in terms of onboarding and that type of thing. So that would be my, <laughs> my little bit of, of uh, advice.
3: I would also say that I am involved in a lot of vendor procurement for our team, whether it be tools, technology, service providers, law firms. I'm not the one leading the way on many of those things, but people bring me on typically as part of their process because I can bring this, you know, objective lens to a lot of things and because legal ops is involved in procuring more things. So we understand kind of, you know, how to navigate a demo, what to ask for. What are the important things you might ask about an integration that, you know, the, the attorney who's who's this me on this wouldn't ask. And so it is good to have legal ops, I think, embedded in all of the procurement motions. You don't need to be the one leading them all necessarily. But I found it very useful in that I can provide you know, guidance and external thoughts and also help them with the process of procuring, because that is very alien to a lot of attorneys. And and other legal professionals. So there's a lot of value add in
4: having legal ops involved.
0: Yeah. Nishad, I saw you nodding along and smiling as, as Janine was speaking. Curious, your thoughts.
4: I completely agree. We want to keep procurement very far away from the process, but I think we can still adhere to their goals and objectives. I've used procurement templates and structured methodology and execution, but our value add is we have a better pulse check on the industry, what tools are emerging. We talk to our peers in forums like this and ask them you know, what their referrals are. So it's a lot easier to facilitate our attorney RFPs when we're the ones leading it. And sometimes if procurement really is not convinced that we are getting the best rate, you know, we loop them in on some of these conversations when it comes to you know, you know, the final stages of negotiating a price and things like that. So I think you can make both parties happy, but definitely something that is internal legal led. Yeah, we'll
0: do uh, one more question. And this kind of dovetails nicely into something that I think we were going to talk about, which is just how you figure out your first hire. So kind of a a two part question. Number one is, how do you go about thinking about kind of the first legal operations hire? And then as a core layer, one of the questions that came in is, what are the day to day functions that you would task out to a legal operations hire? So, Nishad, maybe we can just uh, start with you on this.
4: Absolutely. I think I alluded to it before. My first hire has typically been a legal billing specialist or someone in that kind of financial area. And also tackling one of the questions that I see here, what's like the first legal tech, it's typically a legal billing system. From my experience, the work you're sending to outside counsel, having that level of granularity and statistics on you know what work is being sent outside versus what's being handled internally all of that is through a billing system, and there's a lot to digest, which is why a hire uh, can really help digest that. The hire helps enforce our outside council guidelines. So typically, that's the most impactful. And in our role, especially in departments where they're not really sure what we're here to do, the minute you save them some money, they'll listen to you <laughs> year after year. So I think that's typically my lowest hanging fruit and the most valuable.
0: Got it. Cindy, if you, is that kind of your uh, experience as well, or is it a little different?
3: Since I was the first legal ops hire, my first big project was implementing (laughs) e-billing. And (laughs) just like Nishat said, it is amazing. The experience from both our clients and our law firms, how different it is. You immediately have data showing, oh, we are actually getting discounts across here. And this is our spend across time. And when you're coming from a place of not having that to having that, I think that's super impact. And that is a great foundational project to tackle. In terms of growing the team, for, for me, it was it was really you know just what we were saying before, just really understanding what the needs of the team are and knowing where you want to head in the near term and the long term. We ended up, our first hire ended up being more of a, a jack of all trades and really supporting a lot of things and being able to jump into sort of whatever was happening. And that's because the way our company and team kind of grows and shifts is very, very dynamic. So for me, it was important to have someone on my team that could execute across a lot of different projects and programs and keep our, you know, function moving forward. I think our next, you know, full-time hires will probably be more specific in a certain area and it, it you know, whether it be contracting or fo- more focus on e-billing, but it kind of depends on what your team wants to do in the next uh, year or two.
0: Sure. So Janine, we've got two for, for e-billing. Yeah. Curious, your thoughts there? And then just uh, thoughts on the hires in general.
2: (laughs) You've got three. I mean, once you have an e-billing system, you have the ability to really have the metrics that the attorneys and your your GC and finance team are looking for. So that really is, I I agree with both Cindy and Nishad that that is the the first hire because that gives you the data that you need to be able to move forward and get additional hires in terms of that information.
0: Sure. So another question that came in just kind of uh, you know, catching on with that. What does the second and third hire look like? So, Cindy, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but Janine, maybe we'll start with you here. Kind of as you as we're thinking about moving past, kind of initially building out, just kind of the first step into legal ops. What does that that look like, and uh, and how does that kind of correlate to the the longer term plan that you have for the legal ops team?
2: Well, definitely agree with Cindy in terms of looking at, and shot has said about looking at the business. Like, what is the next thing that that you're looking for? One of the things, of course, that we're looking at is, is spend optimization. So your next hire might be somebody who can work directly and create uh, relationships with your outside counsel to be able to talk through, you know, not just hourly rates, but also any types of alternative fee arrangements that they may be open to. But again, it ties into the, the billing and the finance area, which is which in most cases is some of the focus, especially during these times in terms of the the finance and your GC. I think it really depends because like some of our focus is on diversity. So we're looking at uh, someone who might be able to cover, again, the diversity rankings diversity surveys for our different outside council being able to analyze the data from timekeeper information. So depending on how high that is in terms of requirements for your department, that that would be probably our next hire, would be somebody who would be focused on diversity.
0: Sure. Majid, any uh, kind of additional thoughts on, on that?
4: I would love to be uh, at a level of maturity like uh, Janine's, where diversity is our next higher. But uh, unfortunately, we have some fundamental pieces to solve for. All good problems to have. But I think when I first started out, I always gravitated towards after billing was sort of a technology point of contact or you know a contracts person. But lately, I'm seeing with the ever emerging problems that our team has needed to solve for, a program manager or project manager, specialized person. Really putting some clarity and structure behind how do we tackle these problems. A lot of times the attorney's like, hey, I have this problem, but you can tell... They're diving very far into the weeds, or they're not really, you know, creating proper milestones for themselves. So, having a a PM function to really help them document the approach and really, you know, map out what the execution is going to look like, and having the ability where you can take that person and plug them for any problem within uh, the legal department is really valuable. Yeah.
0: So we have another question that came in, and uh, maybe I can offer a few thoughts on this one before I open it up to the group. The question is: Any suggestions? for making the case to capture attorney time spent on legal ops so that we can get an investment in legal ops. And I imagine Cindy may have some thoughts on this, too. In general, my experience has been that's tremendously helpful. And it kind of harkens back to what we talked about earlier, where just capturing data and being objective and being able to present objective kind of data to whoever the decision makers are is incredibly compelling. And, And oftentimes, it's the only really compelling you know, evidence that you can offer up. And so in, in, you know, my past experiences doing legal ops work, that is actually one of the specific things that we did was capture attorney time spent on what we would deem work that otherwise shouldn't be going to the attorneys. And we did it both for attorneys and for paralegals. And in general, just with the staff, how much time is spent on what we would have deemed maybe administrative work that ultimately in an ideal world should live somewhere else. So just from my experience, I think that's tremendously valuable um would love to hear uh, thoughts from from the rest of the group as well maybe Janine you can kind of kick that off
2: yeah well attorneys who work in house are not very agreeable to uh, tracking their time you know obviously because they come in house so they don't have to track time so one of the things that we did is we actually tried to to estimate, you know, we didn't tell them to to take time, but just like give us a percentage of your day that administrative tasks or any tasks, let's just look at all of them. So we asked them to provide that information and then had a review of that information and then tried to come up with ways where we could either have something either, you know, people process technology, you know, take a look at those things. But it is very difficult to get time from attorneys to really sort of track that to be able to be more to be more successful in terms of you know coming up with these types of ways that can save some of their time on administrative tasks.
0: Cindy, has that been your experience as well?
3: Yeah, I I would say that especially as you're trying to build the case, right? You're not probably not going to have hard data. You're not going to have data coming out of a tool or or something like that. So, you know what Janine was saying, estimating that's often very, you know, good enough. So Mm -hmm. talk to the attorneys on your team. Have the list of five to ten things that you, you know, would typically fall under a legal ops budget and ask them loosely, how much are you spending? How much of your time are you spending on this a day per week? And then you can kind of translate that into actual dollars. And so just having that kind of data, if you will, that the assessments, the speaking to everyone on the team is also very powerful. Of course, it's awesome to have those numbers coming out of tools and things like that. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount the the other type of information. I think that's very strong in building a case. Yeah.
0: Mashab, you agree with that? Have you had experience there?
4: I do. This has come up uh, in a number of my prior roles. And typically when I if anyone suggested tracking their time, they would fall off their chair. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's one of the main reasons they left an offer. But so I have done it primarily because, you know, there was a lot of buy in and, you know, enthusiasm to do so. But I've also found ways to kind of get around that to a certain degree. But uh, in one of my parallels, uh, we wanted to you know identify redundancies, what tasks should come off people's plate. And instead of tracking their time or tasks, we executed a very robust racy where we really, you know, jotted down all the tasks and of this specific task and function, you know, was responsible, accountable, and we tried to identify overlaps where there's a lot of people touching the same activity. Mm-hmm. So we identify the tasks that way as opposed to having them tell us everything that we're working on. Because a lot of times it's hard. You know, you're know, you pushing things along throughout the day, and you don't know how this fits into a broader picture. So we kind of tackled it from a different angle, and it was very effective.
0: Yeah, that's great. We have another question that came in that I think would be uh, useful. So I'll, I'll throw it out to the group. The question is, where does cross-function of legal ops happen across the company as a whole? Is it mainly with finance? Or does legal ops have touch points with sales with other departments? So whoever wants to, to jump in, go ahead.
3: I would say, where doesn't it come into play? Legal offs touches everything and is involved in every interaction. I get pulled in a lot of times from my legal team. You know, Cindy can weigh in on this or maybe help with this, have some suggestions for that. You know, you you do work closely with finance, managing budgets and bills, but you also need to be extremely close to your IT organization because you know you're building and rolling out technology you need to understand where that support is coming and you become very close to them you know so make friends with IT but we also work closely with sales because we support a lot of workflows that impact sales and are sales facing so you need to have relationships basically throughout the company and be that person of contact and it, it's great for them too because a lot of times it's hard for folks to talk to legal or lawyers are speaking more about a legal issue you're there to kind of talk about process. Like, how are we going to get what you need done too? And we can help facilitate that. So I, in my experience, it's been a very welcome relationship just in every interaction I've had throughout the company.
0: Got it. Janine, would you agree that LegalOps basically touches all departments within the company?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And it actually turns out well too, because as you said, legal is very much sort of uh, siloed a lot of times. So you being the person that they can go to to say, hey, I've got this question about advertising or about taxes do you know or can you find out who I should be talking to on the business side so I think it helps too with relationships within your department for people to you know the go- to if they need to find out anything else about or who to contact within the company
0: yeah so I think we're we're getting uh, kind of close to wrapping up so I think there are a few more questions that we want to have answered. So I guess I'll open this up and and maybe, Nishad, we can start with you. But what are the things to avoid when you're building a legal ops team, whether you're speaking from personal experience or just having, you know, uh, interacted with others in the profession?
4: I think what to avoid on the legal ops team. I think generally it's overcommitting. I think you should always definitely pick a vital few. And when it comes to managing an actual team, I think you really need to focus on development. This is still a relatively new area for a lot of folks that haven't been in the industry. So if you have been in here for a while, you know, making sure that you're developing that person, that they're adopting new principles and tactics and ways of executing and doing that effectively. So that way, you're pretty much investing in your future team by taking that extra time out to guide.
0: Cindy, or Janine, go ahead.
2: I think you want to avoid setting in unreasonable expectations. A lot of times people will come in and they'll, you know, they'll ask you to do something. Of course, they want it yesterday. So definitely you want to make sure that you're setting expectations so that people know or have a better idea of when to expect things within your power. Because a lot of times, you know, you will overextend yourself, you know, trying to get something done before it really is, you know, is ready to go. And it's very easy for attorneys to to say, hey, well, you said it was going to be done yesterday, you know, like, why isn't it done? So you want to make sure that you build your reputation on a fact that you're setting expectation and people know that you are, you are the person that will meet your goals.
3: And I would just echo, you know, what both Michaud and Janine said is, you will be quickly become the handyman of the league of the legal team. They will come to you for everything. And that's great, right? You want, you want to understand what's going on. You want to be that problem solver, but you can only do so much, especially as you're starting to build a team. And so I think just being aware of that and, you know, there's a way to say, I can't do it now, but I, you know, know it's a concern and we will definitely think about it in the roadmap or in our plan, you know, that makes people feel heard as well. So not, not overcommitting like Janine said right away. Oh yeah, I'll, I can do that. I can help you with that. When real realistically, you know, there's only so many, so many hours in a day and so, so many people on the team. So be a little bit more thoughtful about how you respond to that. And, and also, you know, ha- have that nice long-term vision and short-term vision so you can understand where people's requests and people's needs kind of fall into that. And you can inform them about that. And then they feel empowered just knowing that they were heard and that you know you have it on your radar, but it's just not right now, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Are there any things that that you wish you'd known kind of going in when you were kind of building out a team? just kind of as you as you think back to when you first got into the legal operations space, do you look back and think, boy, that would have been helpful to know at the outset that might be useful for the audience?
2: I'd just like to say, I mean, there there's so many organizations. You're not by yourself. You know, there are so many legal ops people around and you, you may not see them or know them, but reach out to, you know, either if it's us or just so that you know that you're not alone. You know, there are a lot of people who are starting at the beginning. There are a lot of single legal operations teams, but you're not there's a lot of people who are who are doing the exact same things starting them. But reach out, definitely.
3: I would agree with that. I mean I think that my first I, I went into legal ops and then my first thing doing that was going to clock the actual event. And my mind was blown. Blown. There's just so many people doing it. And it's such a, you know, exploding area. And my experience has been what Janine said, you reach out to anyone, they are happy to speak with you about what's going on with you and give you their experiences. So definitely utilize the community and the people in it. People in legal ops are willing to help each other like no other that I have ever seen, which is amazing. But also, you know, as you grow out your function, you don't necessarily just have to kind of have a crystal ball and know exactly where my perfect hire is going to be. You know, you can hire ops focused consultants or, you know, people that can help you partially on certain projects to make sure you're headed in the right direction before you make that big investment. So, you know, utilize the other types of service providers out there and that can maybe help
4: inform how you grow your team as well. Yeah. I just wanted to double down on what Cindy and Janine had mentioned. A lot of times when I'm tasked with uh, you know particular project or something, I have no idea where to start. I go to my peers and I go to the forums, and the overwhelming response from the community is really what helps me. You know, put things into perspective, know which directions and avenues to go down. And it's actually the community that's kind of kept me in this field for the past ten years. I think I mentioned I got my MBA thinking I was going to go to business, but the community and how helpful they are and how much they pay it forward every time. You know, I post a question and get people responding to me on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'll chat with you. I just implemented this tool. I just hired this type of function and willing to take time out of their day is super helpful. So definitely leverage these and also kind of pay it forward as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I know that I think I think kind of everyone mentioned it, but it's obviously still new and it's going to be the field is going to grow a lot. You know, it's funny when I look back on it. I don't even think I knew I was doing legal ops for the first few years that I was doing it. I was just doing work. And now I look back on it and think like that was kind of legal operations work. So, you know, I would just echo everything that, that everyone has said. So just one last question before we wrap up is um, obviously everyone's familiar or heard of Clock, but are there any additional resources that any of you would recommend that the audience check out?
3: I think Clock is definitely the foundational one. It has a very active message board, which is super helpful and that you can search. And I find a lot on there all the time. There's also a lot, a lot of other smaller kind of networking focused ops groups like Link or Legal Operators and other other similar ones. There's a, a number of them out there, but you know, kind of be open to every all of them. Be open to all of them. They're all great resources. They have little different perspectives, maybe different groups of people in them. But I've found that you know, every time I see one of those up, I love to participate in them because I'm always learning. So there's a lot out
2: there. Yeah, Yep, I, I agree. Again, there are a lot of regional groups also that you might want to look into. And I think Cindy's named uh, the ones that, that I'm familiar with. I know ACC also has a legal operations group. And I think I just heard of one called Legal Value Network, which was new to me, but apparently has been around a while. But there's those are a couple of uh, other organizations too.
4: Absolutely. And just to add on, there are a lot of other resources. I noticed that they, others take different formats, which is definitely productive when you want to take more deep dives into specific topics, which is great. Another method that I leverage just kind of stay up on the news is kind of all the networks I have across of LinkedIn probably friends with half the legal operators in the US, but my feed is now curated where I see what's happening in the industry just by logging into LinkedIn. And the more people that I'm friends with, the more information that I'm seeing. So it's been really helpful for me to keep an eye on what's happening, what events are happening, what other forums are popping up. That's been my method that's been helpful.
0: Perfect. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. I think we will wrap it there. So Janine, Cindy, Mishab, we really appreciate your time. And I think Melissa's back on and and she can wrap us up.
1: Yes. Thank you to everyone. That was wonderful. Thanks for taking time to share all those insights. And thanks to everyone who joined us today. Our next event will be next Thursday. We're going to talk about how to build a compliance team with speakers from Fond, CloudFair, and MoneyLion. Um, You can RSVP in the chat. We also have some really exciting news on the law trade side. We recently launched our app, making it really easy to hire and to freelance, whether you're an attorney or looking for legal ops support or want to freelance in that area as well. You can also learn more about that in the chat.
4: Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out also on LinkedIn and Twitter to keep up to speed with what we're doing. Catch you on the next one.